Oh, well, thank you, Leslie. Um, okay, well, it's Christmas season, and it, I'm impressed. Everybody's here. I mean, it's such a crazy season. But I grew up loving Christmas. I mean, I, I was the kid who, like, couldn't go to sleep Christmas Eve because I was so excited, or I actually tried to start going to sleep at about 7 o'clock so that I could just wake up and it be Christmas Day. Um, but all those hopes and expectations about Christmas, I mean, y'all are probably similar to me in that you take all of that into parenting. And when you start having kids, you have these hopes and what Christmas is gonna be like. And one of those areas is the Santa picture, okay? And so most of us have hopes and dreams that our Santa picture is gonna look like this, right? But... That's not usually what happens. Usually what happens is something like this, or maybe this, or here's another one. I mean, she's like, what? Um, this is my favorite though, because Santa's crying too. Okay. Um, and that is, that's just, that's, that's a, a place where with our parenting that our hopes and our expectations are very different than reality. And so I am excited to be here this morning to get to share with you some of my mothering journey and how some of my expectations were different than my reality. Um, so we're going to talk about today parenting the out-of-the-box child. And so I would, David and I were married um, in 1987, uh, and I was the ripe old age of almost 21 years old, um, and he was 25. And I had, for most of my life, my biggest hope and dream was about being a wife and being a mom. And we were married then, and then we waited eight years before we started having kiddos. And um, all of those hopes and dreams as we started um, with our kids when Micah was born in, uh, in 1995. He was our first baby, my oldest son. And in 1995, he was born. And those hopes and those dreams and those expectations, um, those were uh, kind of formed my box of what I expected uh, parenting and my kids to be like. And so Micah came along like I said, he was my firstborn son, 1995. And so he was a beautiful baby, a very compliant child, and Micah fit very nicely inside my box. Uh, three years later, almost according to plan, came Jessica, my uh, daughter that I so wanted. I wanted a girl. Um, and uh, she was mischievous and fun and active. She also fit nicely inside my box. Then 17 months later, not according to plan, um, came Justin. And uh, though it was, you know, a little sooner than we had planned, still we had our three kids and that fit nicely inside my box. And then when Justin was about four years old, uh, we started, the fits that had started around two years old kept going. And we're like, something's not quite right here. And so we started looking into what was going on with him. And as we pressed into the, what we said was at the time was like, he just overreacted to life. And we figured out that Justin had sensory processing disorder. And if you're not familiar with that, that's a, a disorder where the brain just doesn't know what to do with the intake of the senses. And it can manifest in all different ways. But for Justin, it was major frustration and fits and just a lot of really hard years with him. And so that didn't fit inside my box. 
But we adjusted and we kept going and going with our kids and um, learned how to deal with that. And then Micah, who was our compliant child, when he got a little bit older, um, into the late years of high school, he started struggling. Um, He struggled with some depression, even some suicidal thoughts, and, um, and just led to some tough years parenting him. Uh, he would get all stressed out when people asked him what he wanted to do after high school because he didn't know what he wanted to do with his life and ended up taking a year off and did go to college and graduate. But in that season of time, he also uh, made the decision and came to us and said, hey, I don't believe in this God and this Jesus that you've taught me my, about my whole life and has made choices in his life to walk away from the church and walk away from faith. And that definitely doesn't fit inside my box. Jessica has always been a lot of fun, um, but she is my creative and highly, highly creative. And she, that creativity in her lent itself to some difficulties with schooling because she has the knack for taking an assignment that should take 30 minutes and stretching it into four or five hours. And it just drove me crazy. Um, but that, we, we survived kind of high school and stuff with her. And then she got into college and, and the struggles got bigger and worse and more difficult to deal with. And about a year or so ago, we made the decision with her to put her on some ADD medication. Um, and that's been helpful for her. But that was not something that fit inside my box either. But then Justin, as he grew up and his emotional maturity um, caught up with everything else going on in him and his hard work ethic and his self-discipline and his high intelligence and all that kicked in. He became the easiest teenager in the world to parent. So then he went back in my box. (laughs) So I share all of that with you to illustrate the point that really all of us in some form or fashion, some season of life, we're all parenting out of the box kids. And sometimes they're out of the box because of a particular struggle that they're dealing with. Sometimes they're out of the box because of the way that we have defined their box. And so um, I'm just going to take some time this morning. I'm going to share with you what I've learned um, in in my journey with my three kids. So the first 30 minutes, I'm just going to stand up here. I'm going to share kind of my three big lessons. One is that you need to know their box. The second one is that their box isn't your box. And the third one is that they're all in God's box. And so after that, we'll have some time for table conversations, and then we're going to come back, and I'm going to have some friends come up um, who each have a child or children who have a particular struggle, and they're going to share some of their journey as well as some of what God has taught them through that child, through parenting that child. Um, And then we'll have some time for Q&A at the end, okay? So let's jump in to point number one uh, and talk about how you need to know their box, So I believe strongly that as moms, God has placed us in a unique position to know our children and to know their box in a way that nobody else can. I think we even see it in scripture with Mary. You can see here in Luke um, that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then later when Jesus is older, it says it again. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up these things in her heart. Mary was watching. She was paying attention. She treasured things that were going on with her son. 
And that's our role as mom is that we can know our kids in a unique way. I think especially when we have, um, we have kids that are struggle with something, we get a tendency to want to take them to an expert so they can fix them and then give them back to us. And I remember in the season, we were going through all the different therapies with Justin. We did occupational therapy and we did these special glasses therapy and we did allergy treatment and we did some listening therapy and all of this. There was a point I just, I got frustrated because I was like, each one of these people is just seeing my son through their lens. And at first it was frustrating. And then I kind of took a step back and went, wait a minute. Well, that's their job is to see through their lens, but it's my job to see him as a whole person. It's my job to be his advocate and figure out what pieces need to fit together to make the puzzle that will be the best help for him. And that's not an easy thing. Um, We have to remember as we want to know their box, this is not something that happens quickly. It's something that no, it takes patience. It takes time. It takes listening. It takes being present with them and paying attention to them. That's so important for us to take that and do that and take the time that it takes to do that. Some examples of how this played out with my kids was that um, Justin, when he was, I don't know, probably early, he was in preschool at the time and we were homeschooling the kids, the older two. And I'm a very type A person. I like things to go a certain way. And so I had my routine for the morning and my idea of what should happen. The kids should get up out of bed. They should make their bed. They should get dressed, do whatever chores. And then we'd eat breakfast. Well, I found with Justin that that never went very well. (laughs) And I finally figured out that the best thing is as soon as his feet hit the floor, if I fed him, then the morning went so much better. And that was his sensory stuff coming out because when he was hungry, he couldn't think about anything else. So if, he, if I fed him, then, then he could go on and do the rest of them. Our mornings were better. Um, with Jessica, she and I talk a lot. She's a very verbal processor. Um, and so all the way through high school, and we were struggling with kind of her learning stuff and, and school, and she was doing well, but still struggling and trying to figure it out. And especially in college, we just had a lot of conversations about how she was doing. And as I watched her and watched her and paid attention, there was just this point where I was like, you know, this is more than she needs to be dealing with. This is more than, than she can kind of be successful uh, on. And, and that was the point of where we decided to go ahead and put her on some ADD medication. And it was really, really helped her as she's finishing up college. With Micah, he's the one where we wish we would have done this better. I mean, he was the compliant child. And so it's easy with those compliant kids to just think everything's okay because they don't show it on the outside. And Micah didn't show it on the outside till he was much older. And David and I both wish that when he was younger, we would have asked more questions. We would have leaned in. We would have tried harder to get what was going on under the surface with him. And... Um, And, you know, maybe nothing would have changed, but that's just a place where we really wish we would have done that. We wish we would have listened more and paid more attention and done more with him. Um, And let me remind you, in these these things like listening and paying attention, this isn't an overnight deal. I mean, sometimes this is years 
as moms that we're watching and paying attention and listening and getting to know our kids and how they're wired. Um, But when we do that, there is such reward because when we know their box, it really helps us to know how to help and to shepherd our kids better. Um, There are so many times as a parent that we have to make a decision as to what is the point, when do I need to lean in and help them? And when do I need to step back and let them figure it out? Especially as they start to get older, that's this dance that we play of when, when do we do that? And, and there's also times where, you know, you decide that the goal is the same, but with different kids, often there's the route to get to that goal is different. And uh, with Justin, that was very, very true with him. His sensory stuff also results in him with a difficulty with fine motor skills. And so anything that required a lot of fine motor skills was stressful for him. And there were things with that where he just had to push through. He had to learn handwriting. He just had to do it, even though it was hard for him. Um, He had to do math. And he's intellectually capable of doing all sorts of stuff, but the handwriting involved in math just made it so stressful for him. So that when he got into high school, we had the choice, do we put him in on-level math in public school or do we put him in the, you know, a higher level? Which, like I said, he could do, but it was the handwriting that was hard and we made the choice to put him in on-level because that was just the better place for him to be because of the stress. And we also were able to like get him accommodations so that he could use his iPad and type notes and not have to handwrite them. Um, With Jessica, she and I are still learning (laughs) the balance on this because she and I are wired so very differently when it comes to time management. Time management is not her strong suit, and um, but it is mine. And so we're learning this dance of when is the time to, when are the times that I just, I have to step back and let her do it on her own. And sometimes that means she's gonna fail. And I tell you what, the hardest thing I've ever done as a mom is to let my child fail. It is so hard, but so necessary, okay? But then there's sometimes where she just doesn't have the natural gifting to know how to approach something. And so it is helpful for me to lean in and to help her and to try to train her, teach her a skill that doesn't come naturally to her. And so, like I said, we don't, I don't do that perfectly all the time. Ask my community group. Um, but still trying to figure out that. So mom, just a reminder that you have the vantage point to know your child in such a unique way. God placed you as mom to these particular kids on purpose. Um, And as you know them, you can shepherd and help them in ways that are just wonderful and beautiful, okay? But in knowing our kids' box, we also have to recognize that sometimes we have a tendency that our expectations and our desires can get in the way of maybe what their, um, what we think their box should be in ways that are not helpful and not godly. And um, this may not be a surprise to most of you, but your child is different than you. Uh, and, and it's amazing that that was a shock to me, especially with my daughter. I come from a family of boys. I have two younger brothers. Of all my cousins, I only have one female cousin. Um, I think, as a matter of fact, on my dad's side, I think there's like 26 great-grandchildren, and I'm the only girl. 
So when we started having kids, I wanted a girl. And I had all the hopes and dreams of the bows and the dolls and the dance classes and all these things. And God in his sovereignty gave me Jessica, who, yeah, bows were all right. Dolls she wasn't that interested in. And dance class she hated. And so it was like, oh, that was a little disappointing because, you know, I, you know, and so I just had to learn to adjust to that. Our kids are different than us. And this is a place for all of us to take our expectations to the Lord because let him help you sift that out and understand of like, oh, is this, is this me or is this really them? Um, and in that, we also have to resist the temptation to make our kids like us or even like we wanted to be. The whole dance class thing for me was I wished I would have done more dance classes and I wanted my daughter to get to do what I didn't get to do and it wasn't her thing. Um, so, but I think this is especially relevant for moms with your daughters. I think it plays in with dads with their sons. And so um, this is where knowing your child, understanding them and how they're wired is really helpful in fighting this temptation. Um, Again, with Jessica, and it does kind of play, you see it, I think I, at least I saw it more as, as they got older, like high school and college, as they kind of start to become their own person. And you realize, oh, wait a minute, that's, you know. And I found with Jessica that I was um, in high school and college, I was kind of pushing her toward like being involved with stuff, being involved with groups. I'm very much a group person in high school. I like love to be in organizations. And if I'm gonna be in it, I might as well lead it. And it was just, that was where I found life. I loved it. That's not surprising to any of y'all, is it? Um, and so I found, found myself getting frustrated with her because she wasn't doing those things. And I was like, but that's so much fun. And we got in this, not too heated, but a little bit of a tense, tense What's the word I'm looking for? Tense conversation. There we go. Tense conversation once. And she was like, mom, I'm not like you. I don't like groups like you like groups. And it just helped open my eyes to the fact that I was putting something on her that wasn't her. She is much more wired for individual relationships and isn't into groups like I am. And is that disappointing to me? Yeah, a little bit it is. But it doesn't mean it's wrong. I mean, she needs to be who she is. And so that was a way. And that's one of those things that's like, that's not, it doesn't have to do with her walk with Jesus. It's just who she is and how she's wired. And so um, that, has, that has been helpful. This is definitely a place to ask your spouse or ask community to speak into this. Okay. If you find yourself frustrated or, you know, like ask them, hey, am, do you see me like kind of in putting something on my child that's from me and not from them. And, um, and so that's a really important thing to watch. The other thing that, that is hard in this area is our identity. So easily our identities can get wrapped up in the choices and performance of our kids. And I, my kids are adults and I still fight this, okay? Especially in our our society with so much social media, comparison is so big and it just draws us to, to do that. And, um, and this is not good for either you or your child. When Micah was going through the season of, we're, we're recognizing he's just walking away from the Lord, I struggled deeply just 
really, it was really, really hard for a season of time. And as I processed that with the Lord, he opened my eyes to the fact that some of the reason it was so hard is because my identity was wrapped up in his choices. You know, here I am on staff and I have a kid who doesn't want to walk with Jesus. And, and that was hard. And, and with the Lord's grace, I was able to kind of pedal that back and come to a point where I was able, I always use the word extract because it was painful. Um, just extract my identity from his and what he's doing. And I still grieve that he is where he is, but I'm more free to love him um, in the choices and, and who he is and where he is in his walk right now. And, um, and so that's been a healthy thing. So anyway, so that is important. So in summary, just be careful how you define what your child's box should look like. And if you do find yourself in a season where you're frustrated with a, with a particular child or sometimes it feels like, gosh, I just really don't like this kid right now. Um, just that's a point, take it to the Lord, take it to community, to your spouse and just say, hey, is there any part of this that's me? Is there any part of this that I'm frustrated because they're not doing what I want them to do? Um, and ask the Lord to open your eyes to that. He's so, so faithful in how he does that. And as we do that, um, it is, uh, we are reminded the truth that, um, that they are all in God's box. And we see it so clearly in Psalm 139 that our kids are his creation and this is my translation, by the way. Um, for you formed my child's inward parts. You knitted them together in my womb. I praise you for they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My child's frame was not hidden from you when they were being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my child's unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for them, when as yet there was none of them. God created your child. He is not surprised by their strengths, by their weaknesses, by their struggles. He knows them. He knows how they are wired. And he has a perfect plan for their lives. He will use the struggles that they face in ways that, that grow them and mature them and to be who he wants them to be and how he can use them in accomplishing his plan. Um, I've seen this with all three of my kids. So with Justin, um, when he was in high school, he had the opportunity to go to Camp Barnabas. And he, um, he if you're not familiar with Camp Barnabas, that is a camp for kids with special needs. And our student ministry goes in the summer and they take a week and they, they're buddies with these kids. And so Justin got the opportunity. He's the one in the baseball cap back there. Um, Justin got the opportunity to be a buddy to probably one of the toughest kids in camp one year. And this, this boy struggled with uh, anger and outbursts and things that were very similar to the things that Justin struggled with when he was younger. And so Justin said when he was with him, he was able to, like, he said, I got him. I understood why he was angry. 
And it helped him to be patient. It helped him to form a connection and a relationship with this boy that other people couldn't have because of what he had been through. And he's had opportunities to, to have that kind of compassion in other kids' lives as well. And it's just beautiful to watch. Jessica is currently, um, almost, she's a senior at Dallas Baptist in elementary education. So she's gonna be a teacher here in just a few months. And with her struggles, it's just really exciting to see the way the Lord has equipped her with to have compassion and, and sweetness and a deeper understanding and a desire to help those kids in her classroom that are struggling. So she's gonna be a better teacher because of what she's been through. And even Micah, he's the one in glasses there with his struggles with depression. And he just has a sweet and tender heart toward those that struggle in that way. And our hope in prayer is that the Lord continues his journey um, in some way back to him so that some way and someday that he's going to be able to use that spiritual journey of his to bring honor and glory to him as well. And so it's just sweet to see the way that God uses um, our kids' struggles in their life. But he doesn't just use them in, their, in your kids' lives. He's going to use them in your life too. So David and I have a phrase that we use all the time that God is always working on everybody in the room. And, and so your kids' struggles are part of him sanctifying you and making you more like him. Uh, with Justin, <laughs> I learned a lot uh, from him in the years that were so difficult with him. And he would just lose it. And there was no talking him out of that. He just was just fits and all the stuff. And I didn't always handle that well. Um, there were plenty of times I escalated with him and it was not pretty. Um, but the Lord got my attention and was like, this is not what you need to be doing. You are not helping when you do this. And um, I learned over time when he went this way, I had to stay like this. And I had to keep my voice calm and just sit with him and give him time and read Calvin and Hobbes and anything that would distract him, but just stay steady and calm. And the phrase I used over and over with him is like, Justin, it's going to be okay. As a matter of fact, I was on the phone with him yesterday. Justin, it's going to be okay. He's in college now. Um, but that, I, that trait that I learned, you heard Leslie mention earlier, you know, I'm kind of known as being the steady person. And it's so helpful in children's ministry. I don't know how much time y'all have spent over there, but it can be a bit chaotic. Um, and so it's so important in my job that it's called, we call it being a stress de-escalator. So if stress hits you, the ability to like kind of bring everything down and so that's part of my job. It's part of why I can do what I do is because of how God has used my son's struggle in my own life. And, um, and so I just ask, what does the Lord want you to learn from your kids right now? What is he teaching you um, in the season that you're walking through with your kids? God is in control and we get to trust our kids to him. So, as we finish up, I'm going to share a story, something that happened to me um, with when I was in labor with Jessica. 
I had a very long, drawn-out labor with her. And there was a point, um, I remember, where I had laid... I had laid down to just try to get some rest. I just lay there and I just started weeping. I was so tired. And in some ways, I was at a point where I was just losing hope. Not that she wouldn't be born, but it just was like, I was just done. And it was one of those moments in my life where the Lord spoke to me so strongly, not in an audible voice, but it was like, I just knew it was God. And in that moment, when I had lost hope, he said, you are suffering so that you can hold your little girl, but I suffered greater so that I could hold you. And in that moment, that reminder of the hope of Jesus and his sacrifice and his love for me, it restored my hope and it gave me strength to go on with what was ahead. And I think that's similar to what we need when we hit these moments with our kids that are hard in our parenting, we lose hope. And so we've got to remember, we've got to go back to what we're celebrating now at Christmas, that Jesus Christ came to earth, fully God, fully man, walked this earth that he died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose on the third day, victorious over sin and death and hell. And that is our hope, moms. That is where we have to go back to when we struggle. I have not walked this journey perfectly, but in every moment, Jesus has been what I've needed. In, in those times when I was trying to get to know my kid's box, he was the one who gave me patience and insight to understand them and know them. Jesus is our identity. He is the one who tells us who we are so that we're not trying to get that from our kids. And he is the one, is the one who we trust with our kids, even in the hard moments because he's got them. They are all in his box. And so just remember, remember those three things. Remember to know your kid's box. Remember that their box isn't your box. And remember that they're all in God's box. And as in those moments, when you feel like your kid's outside the box, whether that be because they've got a struggle or because of something that you're, defining their box. Um, remember just to take it all back to the Lord. He's our hope. He's the one um, that will help you walk through that. And he's the author of all of our boxes. Um, and he will help you as you shepherd and love your kiddos. So thank you so much um, for our time, for being here and paying attention and um, we've got some table questions to, for y'all to just take and kind of process what we just talked about. And then in about 10 minutes or so, we will be back up with a panel. So thanks. Oh, there we go. You will kind of wrap up your conversations. I'm going to have my panelists come up on stage. and So I'm going to do a quick introduction um, to these 
three wonderful ladies. Um, so on my left here is Carol McQuilkin. Um, Carol has been at Watermark longer than me even, I think. We've been friends for a long time. We are in community together, so we know each other fairly well. And uh, so I'm really excited for her to get to to share with you a little bit of her story. This is Mandy Tucker in the middle. Mandy is um, one of the part-time staff people for Starting Blocks um, and coordinates Kaleidoscope, which is our special needs ministry here for us as well. Um, and so she's going to share some of hers. And this is Amy Holm, who is actually part of the Nest team at the Dallas campus. And so uh, she agreed to come and share kind of her story with with her son as well. So I've asked each of them to just kind of put together um, about just a few minutes of kind of their story and what God has taught them through their story. So I'm going to let them each share and then um, and then we'll do some Q&A after that. Yeah. Is this on? Yeah. Okay, you're good. Okay. Um, so my name is Carol, as Ginger said, and I have four kids. Um, I am an empty nester, so hang in there. It is great. It's great <laughs> so, and it does get here before you know it. Yeah, um, it so, but my oldest is 30 years old. She is a self-motivating, go-getter, get-the-job-done, black-and-white type of um, A-type personality. And uh, very easy to parent because of that. Um, and then my son coming up behind her is uh, two and a half years behind her is um, he's more very laid back. Um, you know, we were sharing at the table that one shared that her uh, child, she has to say, say something to them five times and they still get distracted and don't do it. That was him. Um, and so parenting him, he was the best baby, but boy, his ADD, it just, um, it almost did both of us in. But um, anyway, I'd love to see where, where God has him right now. He's 27 and um, still still deals with his ADD, but God is using it. It's really cool. Um, and then four years younger than him is my next daughter. And she is living in Arkansas. She got married in July. And she is probably... Um, I don't know. I wouldn't say that she's most like me, but she's my kindred spirit, and we can communicate very well with each other. We can talk on the phone for hours. I mean, literally two nights ago, my husband was out of town. Her husband was gone. We talked for over an hour on the phone, and the only reason we stopped was because I got another phone call. So, and then my youngest comes in, and she is very um, ADHD, and she is um, she deal, she has fear and anxiety and anger that she is, uh, that she, she was dealing with it. I, you know, it was like a deer in the headlights on how do I deal with this? And, um, I mean, we were, we ended up in the emergency room at one point. We were in Africa and my, um, we had somebody staying with her and, um, she was afraid for us in Africa, but then she also had some hidden sin in her life and then struggles at school and it just had a perfect storm and her body started breaking down. So she ended up in the emergency room because of her stress. So um, I would say that all of my kids are out-of-the-box kids, just as Ginger said. They don't, are not going to fit in our boxes. And, um, but it's, it's a journey for all of us. I, I love s- submitting to the Lord, yielding to Him, my kids and my parenting, trusting in Him, 
persevering with training them and um, seeing where God has them. They've each fallen away from him, from the Lord at some point, uh, some harder than others. And um, they've all got their stories to tell, but uh, God has redeemed it and um, is still redeeming it. And they're being sanctified. Um, they're anyway. Yeah. So I look forward to your questions. I don't know if I can Anything, help or not, but yeah, particularly <clears throat> feel like the Lord has taught you through your kiddos. I, yes, just um, levels of trust more than, um, I mean, letting go of how I want people to see me or see my kids and just trusting the Lord that he, he's doing a work in their lives just as much as he is mine and growing me uh, with each, whether, whether they get a training thing or not, um, just my trust growing in the Lord, whether something I've read is going to work, and this is the answer, um, nine times out of ten, it's not the answer. It just gives me some direction, but um, just trusting in God, going on my knees and pulling closer to him. The closer that I, and the more I trust in him, um, the more I see God at work in their lives. Great. I'm going to cheat. Um, so um, I am a mom of two girls. Uh, my oldest, Regan, is six and is a first grader. And my youngest, Morgan, just turned five in November. Um, in October of 2017, Morgan was diagnosed with a rare genetic mutation called STXBP1. It took us, um, I think, about two years to find that diagnosis. So we spent a lot of time at doctor's appointments, having blood work done, um, EEGs, MRIs, um, just a lot. Um, for that. Um, STXBP1 is a gene mutation on chromosome 9 that causes developmental delays, intellectual disability, um, and a lot of kids with this um, disorder have seizures. Um, there's about five to 600 kids worldwide that have this diagnosis, so it's not, it's not very common. Um, when we received this diagnosis, I was definitely rattled to my core um, with that. One of my biggest fears in life is that I would have a child with disabilities that wouldn't be able to live what society de deems a normal life. Um, so that was definitely a fear that I had before we had kids, um, and that was, that was realized. Um, after Morgan's diagnosed, um, I questioned everything about my pregnancy. Um, did I do something wrong? Did something happen during labor and delivery um, that could have caused this? I questioned God. Um, I was mad at God, um, and I wept over the loss of the dreams um, that I had for her. Um, I'm just gonna let that fall. Um, the key point that I had, and I think that goes back to Ginger's message, is um, it was the dreams that I had for Morgan um, and, and her being in my box. Um, I spent a fair amount of time just wallowing over that loss of what I thought those dreams should be. Um, and then I picked myself up and I began what I classify as just my fight and her journey to help her. Um, I let my flesh process her diagnosis, but I knew that I had to go back to truth. Um, I knew that God loved me. I knew that God loves my girls. Um, and that he would not leave us to walk this road alone, even though there, there's not a lot of research out there for it. Um, I knew I had to do my best to equip her, um, but I also knew I had to relinquish control um, over her path forward and just turn that over to the Lord. Um, I was praying that he would put people um, or just opportunities in our path that would kind of guide us down this road. 
um, and in parenting Morgan, um, I've quickly learned that I cannot look too far um, ahead of myself. Um, it's very daunting to think of what life looks like with a child with special needs when you're looking five to 10 years down the road. And I just had to look at what is right in front of us um, and take those baby steps um, so that I didn't get freaked out by the challenges um, that we were gonna be focusing. So near-term goals are definitely um, important to have and you just see that it's much more attainable um, and you just feel encouraged, encouraged by those. Um, a second important item that um, is one that I'm definitely still working on is joy. Um, my husband and I have talked about the importance of finding joy in her achievements. Um, Morgan's achievements don't look like a typical child's achievements. Um, so it's just really important for us to just find joy in the small things and to celebrate those. Um, and as I mentioned, like I get discouraged um, because I see typical kids her age that are achieving more. Um, and that's where I just have to turn back to the Lord um, and just really seek him to know um, that he's got her in his hands. Um, there's two things, so more than one, that the Lord has clearly revealed to me um, while on this journey, and I have to remind myself um, of them often. Um, so when Morgan was born, we decorated her room in butterflies, um, just a personal desire. Um, and when she was about one, my mom gave her a book called Hermia a Common Caterpillar. Um, this book is written by Max Lucado, and in the book, it talks about um, this caterpillar that goes through and has seen other insects that has strengths that he believes that he doesn't have. So he's seen great things in other people. Um, and God is constantly reminding them, him to be patient. And he says, I'm not finished with you yet. Um, so just reading that book and just seeing the butterflies around Morgan's room is just a constant reminder for our family that God's not finished with her. Um, he's not finished with any of our kids. He's still working on them. And I think that, that um, I didn't know what God was doing, but he knew. And that was the important thing. Um, and I also go back to the verse, um, Isaiah 139, 13 through 14, um, which was mentioned already. Um, we didn't talk. Um, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. So this verse reminded me that God made Morgan uniquely, just how he wanted her. Um, his, he has a plan for her. Um, He's molding and refining her, and his glory and work is being seen in all of our children that have differences. Um, so that, to me, has been criti critical um, just as we walk this journey with her. Awesome. Thank you. I'm Amy, and I have um, I've been married to my husband, Russ, for 14 years. And then we have 10-year-old Luke and 8-year-old Lila and 4-year-old Tyler. Um, it's funny because they're all about to have birthdays, so they're about to be 11, 9, and 5, but um, they're still those ages for now. And um, our oldest, we would say, is um, strong-willed. And so um, I feel like that there are lots of books and blogs and things that kind of use that terminology, but when I'm talking about it, um, and the way I see it in our family um, is that strong-willed kids are kids who want strongly, they work strongly, and they feel strongly. And so those are all really awesome things. And so the reason that I'm up here is because when you have a strong-willed kid, it usually means that they have those things, but then there's like the compliant side and the defiant side. And so when you have a defiant kid who is strong-willed, it means that they strongly want something different than their kids want for them or their, than their parents want for them. 
or than what is wise for them. And they strongly work and strongly feel about that want. <laughs> and so um, we noticed probably around 15 months in our community group at the time, we had five couples. Everybody had their first kid. They were all boys. Um, and so there, and then also in our square one group, I just, we just noticed that his responses were different. And like, and it, he was just harder to correct, even at that young age. Um, he was just harder than others. And I remember a sweet friend going, well, you just look at them and say no. And I was like, I'm doing that. <laughs> like, I'm saying no, and he's still doing it. Um, and so, but that worked for her. It did not work, did not work for that for us. I joke, but it's true. I didn't experience um, first-time obedience until my daughter, who's our second child, was, was a year old. And I said, okay, let's go walk this way. And she turned and walked with me, and I was like, Oh, that can happen. Like <laughs> they can, they can do what you say, um, and so um, it's looked different as he's gotten older and as he's been through different stages. And when he was younger, it was mostly about um, fearing for his safety, like going to places where there was traffic or water or crowds, like things where I was like, he's gonna run. Like he started walking, legitimately walking at nine months old. He was running by ten months old. He was very driven. Um, but like, that was ridiculous. Like when I had our second baby and I was like, oh, I've got to figure out how to keep him here, <laughs> like with me, because he loved to run and it didn't matter if I said no. Um, and so when it was, when it was, when he was younger, it was more about like his safety. Um, and as he's gotten older, we've had battles over food, over nap time, over bedtime, now that he's 10, almost 11, it's like over his tone, over his words, over just listening to us when we're, when we're giving him wise counsel on things and we watch him still choose other things. And it's like, oh my gosh. Like, um, he just wants what he wants and he's going to work um, to get what he wants, and he's gonna have strong feelings if he doesn't get it. And so we realized, like, when, like, we do consequences, but when he has a consequence for a bad choice, it's big emotions, and it's it just feels so much bigger um, than we, how we've seen our other kids walk through having consequences. It's also um, somewhat limited to just at our house with my husband and I, and with his grandparents. He is pretty compliant, um, actually very compliant with teachers at school, with sports coaches, things like that. So it's because it is just limited to our home. Um, we've talked with the pediatrician. We've seen some different therapists. Um, they've, they've ruled out any sort of diagnosis, diagnoses at this point. It's like they're saying, no, these are calculated choices that he's making. Um, so, yay. Um, um, and so, two things that I've found helpful um, with this. One is just finding other moms who have kids that are similar um, and being able to connect with them. I remember going, so years ago, the nest was called Building Blocks. And I remember one of the moms who was leading at that point, her name was Desi Brown. And I remember, like, being at a table and, and talking about some things that my Luke was doing. She has a kid named Luke too. And she's like, well, my Luke does that. And I was like, oh, it was just 
so comforting to know that there are other kids who are just hard um, and who, who choose, who, whose choices make them hard. Um, and so, and then also just being in a safe place, because like I said, I had several friends from Square One and from Kimi Group whose, whose kids would like sit in the circle at library time, when mine would not do that. And so it was just discouraging to always be around the compliant kids. Um, and so it was helpful to be around other people who understood what it was like to have a kid who was not making good choices, um, as like most of the time, not making good choices. Um, and then another thing is just not to compare kids. And I, I shared this story a couple of years ago, but we were going through this time where we were training our kids to clean their rooms. This is our older two, because our four-year-old, I don't know if he's ever going to clean anything, because he's really cute, and he's our third kid. And so I just don't know we're going to get to that with him. But the other two, <laughs> the other two, like, I'm like, guys, we're going to learn to clean our rooms. And so um, so they had these lists that they would, you know, check off, and we'd go check rooms, and, like, Luke's room would just be, like, it's like he just, he didn't care. Like there was clothes everywhere and projects he'd been working on and just mess everywhere. And then we'd go look at Lila's room and it was like her bed is made and there's just stuff put away. And we got into this and a few days into it, I was like, I was doing some laundry and I was like, where are all of Lila's clothes? Like she should have some dirty clothes that I should be washing. And so I go into her room and um, start looking around and under her bed is where she has put everything. Like when she has cleaned her room, it has not been like putting things in their place. It has been shoving it under the bed. But her room looks clean, right? And so it's, it's the same way with our kids and their sin. It's like they've all got it. Just like the ones that are the strong-willed, defiant ones, we just know more about it. We just know what their stuff is. <laughs> and so we know like, hey, go pick up your clothes. Go put that project away. Like we know I can look at Luke and say, hey, your tone is not good. Um, but with Lila, it's, it, it is harder to know. Um, I, have to, I have to dig a little bit more to figure out what it is, but it's still there. And so all of our kids need Jesus. They all have sin. The need is not stronger for any of them. Um, we just, it's just more evident sometimes with, with um, the strong world, defiant ones. So um, it's helpful for me to remember that because it's so easy to go. That kid, that, like, he does what he's supposed to do right when he's supposed to do it. He's kind. He does, it's like, but he has stuff too. So um, it's helpful for me to remember that. Um, and then you said to say what the Lord is teaching me. And um, what the, one of the big things that I'm continuing to learn is that my faithfulness as a mom to be the mom that the Lord has called me to be is not contingent on my kids' behavior. Um, it's tempting to be angry and frustrated and impatient. But if I am somebody who is abiding with Christ, somebody who says that they are walking with Jesus, then my parenting should be marked with the fruit of the Spirit. And that doesn't mean that I'm not firm. It doesn't mean that there are no consequences. It just means that there is patience, there is kindness, there is gentleness, and there is self-control in the things that I'm doing, um, even if I'm not seeing the changes that I want to see um, in my timing. So. Awesome. Well, I asked these three women in particular to join me today because I wanted just to give a chance for y'all to hear from some moms who kind of 
dealt with some different needs. Carol with her kids with the ADHD and, and some of that that they dealt with. And then M- Mandy with a daughter with special needs. And then Amy with a strong-willed child. And so we know in this room that there's lots of different kids represented and, um, and just wanted to give you a chance to hear maybe from someone that, that's similar to maybe something you're dealing with um, and, and get a chance to just, you know, hear that, hey, God works in all those circumstances. So we've got l- plenty of time for some questions and uh, would love to just field questions. So if, go ahead and, if Les- oh, I think Leslie's gonna get a mic. If we- or do we need one of these? We can share up here. Don't be shy. Pop up your Always hands. the first question that's the hardest. It is. Be brave. Oh, yes. Look, two went up at once. Succumbing to peer pressure. Okay. I'm never too shy to talk. Okay, my question is for the strong-willed child. Um, you said that you notice a lot of emotional stuff with consequences or with discipline, and so I would love to know how that has transpired. I think sometimes in our house we feel like we're walking on eggshells and you like kind of don't want to upset the bear, um, but you still need those consequences. And so how do you, I don't know, how do you choose what battles to fight and then how do you move forward with that without the loss of all the others that yeah. are kind of getting ignored because the behavior is your... Um, I think once we realized that that was kind of the norm, um, I was able to adjust my expectations and know that if you know, if this happened, then there was going to be a consequence. And just know that those big emotions were coming and not to, I think Ginger mentioned this earlier, not to escalate with him. Um, And then also help figure out how to help them deal with those emotions. Like what's helpful Um, if, if he's mad because it's time to turn off screen time and it's like, oh, so you give... Um, try to set them up for success and be like, okay, in 10 minutes we're doing this, in five minutes we're doing this. And so you're, so on the front end, you can kind of set them up for whatever's coming that could potentially cause the big emotions. But then once the big emotions happen, um, we had some things that we tried as far as like coping skills, like, hey, if you're going to get mad, go out and jump on the trampoline. Um, or if you're going to be loud, then go to your room and, and do that there. And then um, there's this great illustration of like uh, kids going, being trained and going through a tunnel when, they're on, when they have emotions. And it's like they can't just stop when they're feeling something. They have to get through the tunnel to the other side. And so part of that is just letting them feel what they're going to feel. Um, and you can talk about it later and, de- you know, and and see if that helps. I feel like as he's gotten older, we have that less than when he was younger because he can communicate more um, and maybe feel more understood now. I feel like it was really hard from like, I mean, age two to like maybe six or seven. Um, but I, we, we can't make them not feel things. We can help them cope with it and then also just have our own expectations set for what, we know it's probably going to happen. And that has also, like, if other people are around, like siblings are around, or like, it's, you all just kind of learn how to cope with it and, and expect it and hopefully get that tunnel through the train or train through the tunnel. 
one of the things I've done with <clears throat> some strong-willed young men in my house is um, when it's gone over the limit of, I mean, you know, I'm just like, read the room. You've been crying for 10 minutes. Now it's going to something else. I'm like, it's okay to be mad because I want them to know it's okay to have that emotion. Um, but now it's time to have that emotion in your room because we're going to do this. And when you're ready, you can come out. Or it's okay to be sad. I understand that made you really sad. Mommy gets sad too. But I'm going to walk you to your room and you can stay in there for a little bit. <laughs> you know, Because at the same time, you want to teach them like appropriateness. Like it's not okay to lay in the floor in a classroom. So it's like we're, we're teaching them how to deal with their emotions. But hey, there is a, there is a piece of social appropriateness that, that we're also training. So, Oh, Kelly. My question's very similar. Um, say my son does escalate, and then he's in his room so that he can feel his emotion. I've read to let them just feel it, and when they find self-control, they can come out. I've timed him up to 45 minutes to an hour still screaming and kicking and banging on his blinds, and I just don't know at what point. I mean, now I go in there sooner. I do like 10 minutes, and I'll go and talk to him. But I just I don't know the appropriate level of letting him feel that emotion and find his own self-control. Or at what age does that happen? He's three. Um, but the self-control, he doesn't find it on his own. And I want to help him to do that. And I don't feel like I have tools to do that. I can speak uh, similar. I went through that with Justin. Um, I don't know if it was ever 45 minutes, but it could have been. <laughs> um, and so I found it's, I think you're, you're wise when you say, Kelly, that you know, he can't get there on his own. He needs some help. And so figuring out what helps him. Um, Justin was sensory. So for him, some of it was, um, part of it was he needed to be distracted. That's why the Calvin and Hobbes, I was Calvin and Hobbes and I would sit down on his bed while he was flailing around and I would just start opening the, and turning the pages and just be there and I'd start reading comics. And eventually it distracted him enough that he could kind of get out of that tunnel mm. and... And that helped him get there. Um, sometimes it was sending him to swing or spin or whatever it was. So that was something I had to do with him. So anybody else? Okay. I, I'm going to say something again, shocking. Um, <clears throat> I had a three-year-old that did the same thing, threw books at the door, would go forever. Um, and there's a lot going on, but I feel like safety, what Amy brought up about safety is really big at this age that you're looking at. And so going in there, I like how you're going in there every 10 minutes to check on him. Because one time I found him in the front yard because he had opened the window and gone in the front yard. I didn't know he could do that. And so I wish I would have checked in more because I was like, no, we're, we're going we're gonna to push through. This is what I'm supposed to do. But I think going in, they don't know. And then when you're mad, your IQ goes down and they're already working on that IQ, <laughs> right? So check on them. You know, maybe set a timer. I'm going to come check on you in three minutes, okay? I understand you're upset and that's okay. Walk out, you know, and come back in. Anybody? More questions? Um, for Ginger, you were talking about Micah and how you wished you would have asked him more questions like looking back, like what kind of questions are you kind of referring to? Like, um, I, I, I think it was more about trying to harder to try to get at what was going on in his heart. Um, he shared now that like 
he felt really outcast by friends and that people didn't, people didn't treat him well. And I wish we would have like just asked more questions. Like, like dinner time talk? Like. Dinner time, or probably with him, it would take more like one-on-one. And we spent a lot of one-on-one time. And he was not one who shared freely. Um, but to just, you know, try to get more at his heart. You know, what, you know, so who are your friends? You know, did you have a good time with them? How are they, um, what is it like to be a friend to this person? How can, you know, and just, and to tell you the truth, I don't totally know. Um, And like I said, I'm not sure if it would have changed anything with him, um, but it is an area we wish we would have just dug a little bit deeper um, to try to, to try to figure out where his heart was. Hold it, hold the mic closer to your mouth. Okay. Anybody. (laughs) All right. I have a whole lot of alphabet soup at my house um, with diagnoses, but um, we have ADHD, SVD, ODD all around our dinner table. And how did you handle just the stress of the chaos that all of those happens at the end of the day? I mean, our end of the days are very stressful and both my husband and I are, we're done, we're done and we have nothing left and the kids are at the end of their medication so they're ready to like fly to the moon. But um, just how, how did you orchestrate a calmer household um, with all the crazies? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, that, especially since uh, I'm a morning person, so I'm already done too at the end of the day. Um, and my husband, when he gets home, you know, he'd want to fall apart. And so that's just, you know, kind of how I was raised. You fall apart at the end of the day. But um, to maintain the peace, um, that was not my goal to maintain the peace. My goal was to just be with each other in the days that. I think Amy was saying it best when I've been abiding in Jesus. It makes those times uh, where things seem out of control at night, um, you know, dreading bath time, dreading bedtime because of the struggles and the battles that go through with those when your kids are emotional or they're overtired. Um, when I've been abiding with Jesus, and um, it makes those times easier. Um, but I also think, you know, when. The relationship that you have with your husband is going to help tremendously if, if the two of you are on the same page, the two of you are abiding in Jesus. And I know that doesn't happen in every family, um, and it didn't happen in ours for years um, just um, because of where we were, but it just and it, it destroys the peace. Um, but when you can, when you have been walking with the Lord all day long and talking about it and then knowing that you have that ahead of it and talking to Jesus beforehand about the evening and the, and the storm that you know is about to come um, called dinner time and trying to get everybody to eat everything off their plate. Um, it does help to know that it's coming and to just talk to the Lord about it. Um, but as far as like practical stuff, I mean, just different things uh, to put into place, we, 
I made dinner time a family dinner time, which was not always possible when they're playing soccer or basketball or whatever. But um, I would, I, it was always family time. So try not to do any of the individual things. And we would alter dinner time according to what the schedules were. Um, and then when that got to be hard, too hard, we would schedule a time where we had family time at breakfast time because that's when we could all be together. But um, I think the family times and the focus that you have on those will also help. So your time with the Lord, your focus that you are uh, is, is not to um, have peace at the dinner table. It is just to glorify the Lord. And how do I train my kids' hearts even, even in the midst of chaos um, and how you're responding and how you're reacting? I don't know if that helps, but... That's great. Yeah. Anybody else? Questions? Okay, sorry. So um, y'all had said that at some point, all of your children seem like they're out of the box and that there isn't a need, you know, the need for Jesus isn't stronger in one than the other. Um, so I guess just from like a mom of multiples and right now I'm kind of in the like little people season, so it's really difficult at times. What tips and tricks do you guys have to like when one of them seems to be dominating, like the need for attention, um, just I guess how do you make the like sibling unit still kind of look at, you know, like okay, yes, this child's having like more, or maybe even a season of like higher needs for one kiddo. Like how do you balance out <laughs> that like attention with the other ones, sure. if that makes any sense? Sure. I'll start because mine is a lifetime of higher needs. Um, we make a point for her older sister to do one-on-one -on -one dates. Um, we will try and get her out of the house just with one of us. Um, and also try to spend a few minutes. Um, Morgan will preoccupy herself for maybe like a five-minute increment. So in those, I just recognize that don't take me time um, and really just try to sit down um, with Reagan for that minute to color or do the things that interest her. Uh, she definitely likes one-on-one -on -one time, so I just try to five, find moments that I can carve it out. I have opportunities before Reagan gets home from school, so I know that season might be different. Preschool might look like an opportunity where you could just say, hey, I'm going to spend 15 minutes with you to do the activity that you want to do. Um, I let her pick, and, and we try to do that. We also spend a lot of time at bedtime. Um, we'll read with her. We kind of Our bedtime with her probably looks like almost 30 minutes. So we're finding opportunities in different moments to really just give her that one-on-one -on -one time that we need. Um, but we're also still encouraging her to interact and play with her sister too, even though that looks very different. I think my kids, um, when we went through the season where Justin would just like lose it often, um, the older two were really good about, um, we didn't hide that from them. I mean, they kind of knew what was going on. And um, we also really encouraged kind of the whole family culture. And that was, has always been big for us. And um, trying to help them also at their age appropriate level, help them understand what was going on with their brother. And um, not just leaving them out in those seasons. And then I think what Mandy said as well is the one-on-one -on -one time with all of them uh, was so important. Uh, Micah especially is a one-on-one -on -one person and so you know those times when I felt like I was so occupied by Justin 
making sure that David got time with them. And um, so I'd say that in the, and just, and then doing family things, you know, what is it that's, that makes your family special? What is it that y'all do together? And facilitating that was important. Anybody else? I was going to say with ours, it's, I feel like our situation is interesting because it's my oldest kid who, um, does, who, who makes a lot of bad choices and has some behavior things. And, um, and so I have made a point to explain it and talk about it with, not with Tyler yet, because he's still younger, but with Lila, um, just to, because I mean, she's, she's witnessing all of it, and she's old enough to know that that's not the right behavior, but we actually, when she's really tired or um, is experiencing things similar, she can occasionally throw a fit the way that Luke does. And um, it's, it's, not in her, it's not her character necessarily, but she will do it sometimes. And I've realized that she does that because that's what she's seen done. Um, and so we'll talk about it. And I'm very careful to not throw him under the bus to her. Um, and to also point out, well, you know, when, when mommy talked to, to this, this way, I was using a bad tone. Or like just to kind of point out that we're, we're all doing things that um, are wrong at times. Because um, I, I just, I feel like I, I, on TV, like we see stereotypical family, families where it's like, that's the problem kid, and this is the good kid. And I, I'm trying really hard to not have that. But at the same time, to talk about that tone wasn't okay, or he's having a hard time because he was mad because he didn't get this. And, and to talk about what's happening, um, but also to not paint a picture of, of him as the bad kid. Um, so I think it's important to talk. I don't know how old your kids are, but as they get older, you can have more conversations with them. Um, I, I'm going to throw something in, shocking. Um, I, with the four, I have two that are kind of more attention needy, like demand it. And so I have found that the other two, I'm like, oh, no, because they're easier. And they're in the backyard together, and I'm dealing with the other two. And so it has revived my soul for myself, kind of in a, to spend extra time with them. Like, it gives me hope. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's almost going to be great for you as well. It's definitely great for them. But I think pushing through that exhaustion and tired and doing a little extra with them will also revive you in a different way and help you work through with the, the hard kids, I have found. So, and I think... Um, What's really important is I get older talking about it, and I have not always done this well. I messed up a week ago and I got called out on it, but because I have a son who likes to talk about other people's behaviors and he doesn't like it and he gets very upset about it, um, we've talked about how um, I've just started talking about how some people, it's just what Amy was saying, wear their sin very brightly on them. And the great thing about it is we all know what they need to work on. But sometimes the people that are good and we don't notice that, it's going to take a lot longer for them to see that need. And so it's not always the bad thing if it's wearing out there. So be careful. I'm just trying to teach them not to judge because we're all the same. I'm trying to get a little bit of Romans 3.23. For all have sinned just because so-and-so got a mark and you didn't. So those questions, those 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 conversations are hard to work through, but 
I'm trying to make a point to make sure that you're not the best. He's not the worst, you know, so. Hey, so nobody asked for my opinion, but I have a microphone, so I'm going to share it. <laughs> Just also on the, like, spending time with kids that you see are being overlooked, little things can be big. Like taking one kid to the grocery store with you when dad's home or having one kid help you in the kitchen, like, if they enjoy that and be like, no, this is, this is so-and-so's turn to help mom with dinner or whatever, like, because I got five kids and I just, the idea of having a date night with each one of them, I'm like, if I can do that in a year, like, I'm, <laughs> that's a win. I, that's amazing, you know? So anyhow, just little things can, can be big for kids. So that's all. Oh, you're almost you. there. So this is also on the strong-willed kid type conversation. Um, so how do you deal with the example that the older kid is setting, since you kind of brought that up? Um, and I, I constantly struggle with the fear that my youngest is just going to emulate what she's seeing. Um, and that's a fear that I have to give over to the Lord, but um, what are some practical things that I can do to encourage the good behavior without making my oldest feel like she's constantly failing as in being a good example? Um, so to, for the one who you don't want to feel like is failing, um, we will process some of that when our oldest is not in, like around. Like, if I'm talking to my younger ones about something that he's done or like, the example that I think he has set for them, it's not in front of him. I'm not going, now, earlier, Luke threw himself on the, on the floor, and we're not going to do that. Like, it's, I talk to them um, really to not tear him down because I think that um, the more he is, like, I, he doesn't like his behavior. Um, but, and so to be torn down by even, it, it even more just makes it worse. Um, so we'll process things when he's like when he's not around, um, and what else? I mean, I'm trying to think what else I would add to that. It's it's it's, it's hard. hard. You're in hard spot. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, my my mine were older. Um, they're watching Justin. Um, did you deal with that at all? Yeah, I mean, I would um, elevate the good that you see in in your. I don't. Is your oldest a son? daughter both girls both girls okay so elevate the good that you see in her in front of your other child um and make sure you focus on those and like amy said privately you can talk about you know the 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 situations or the behaviors that you've seen talk to both of them about it Mm -hmm. um but also kind of what leslie was saying help her to see her own shortcomings as well but um also help her see the good in her sister I think it's good to also talk through what would have been a, a better response, like with both kids separately, like with the kid that was having the behavior problem, like, you know, once they've gotten to a point where they've calmed down and can talk, um, you know, what would, be, what would have been a better way to do that? And then with the one that witnessed it, you know, when, when he, she said that or she did that, what should she have said instead? And so that way they're still learning what the appropriate thing is to do. 
Um, and so that's also influencing her as much as what she's seeing. And then when you hear that word like, oh, that's, that's the appropriate thing or that's the right thing to do, that's going to train her too. And um, it's so funny because it's like I look at my, my three kids and I'm like, I'm the same mom and my husband is the same dad to all three of our kids. Like we meet their needs differently. Um, but like, how can they be so different from each other? And we have to remember that the Lord is at work in their hearts and their stories are going to look different. And, um, and so, we, it, so the influence that older siblings have on their younger siblings, I mean, the Lord is bigger than that. And so that, I find a lot of hope in that. <laughs> yeah, and remember that God's always working on everybody in the room, you know, and so he'll, he'll refine your younger daughter just because of, you know, watching mm-hmm. what she's, you know, what she sees in her, her sister and her struggle too. So. I've always also thought it's helpful to start journaling that for your own heart. So once your heart kind of decides, oh, here's the good, you know, the Lord just starts showing you more and more once you're open to that. That's helped me. Um, can any of you guys speak to the role that community has played um, like in you parenting your children, especially for the out-of-the-box kiddos? Just maybe some encouragement or how like conversations maybe you've had to have with community group members to help partner with you as you like walk this road with your children. Carol? <laughs> My community group comrade over here, Carol. Um, goodness, you know, we've been in community with these guys um, and with the Keglers for, well, I feel like the three of us were kind of doing accountability together for at least 10 years, yeah. maybe a little a bit more. Yeah. Um, and then the, the, four, the three of us couples for the last few years, but our, our youngest... Um, has went through some really tough times in her uh, in her high school years is really when it came to a head, and um, just being able to be honest and um, share with our community group. I mean, they saw everything. They saw her what <laughs> her behavior and um, the things that she was doing that she was very open about. And um, but I never felt condemned by them. I never felt like, um, well, I mean, the first thing that happened, I got a phone call from one of them that said, when my daughter kind of went off the deep end, and, the, and he just said, uh, you did not do this. This is not a result of your parenting, um, because I went to a really bad place, um, and just thought, you know, this is one thing I could get right, and turns out I can't even get that right. Uh, those were the thoughts, and they knew right then, because we'd been in a community together. They knew where I was. They knew where my, where my struggle was. Um, so they jumped in right away, and they were quick to say that. Then they were quick to come over. They were quick to listen. They were quick to pray. They were not quick to give advice, but to say, hey, I don't know if we're going to get this right. But then when it came time, the appropriate time, then they did give um, helpful suggestions, I guess. Um, So that's been a very critical thing in our lives. And then ongoing and getting past some of that, still asking the same questions. Um, You know, how are we doing on communicating with our kids? Especially now that they're not at home. Uh, My daughter that's in college, 
you know, I, she doesn't have time to talk to me for an hour on the phone. She doesn't have time to talk to me sometimes for 10 minutes on the phone. But you know what? If I don't reach out and call her anyway, knowing that I'm not going to get, she may not even pick up the phone, at least I'm communicating to her that she's important to me. I love her enough to call her and to reach out to her. She knows that I'm thinking about her. I, you know, I went through some guilt. This is getting away from the community question. Okay, I'm going to start chasing rabbits. I'm sorry. But no, they're good about asking me questions and how, uh, and praying for me. And I think for each other, even. Yeah. I mean, I'd say when we went through just the hard time with Micah, um, because we were all together at that point, just community, I think community plays a role for us, first of all, to be able to be honest. Um, of like, hey, I'm, this is hard. This is, and to really watch, I think we watch each other's, we watch out for each other's hearts, mostly, um, more so than we're trying to figure out exactly what to do. But there have been points where we've come to them and go, okay, this is, what, what do we do? You know, this is where we are with this child and we're not sure what to do. Can y'all help us think this through? And so, so I think there's kind of those, community plays both those roles um, I don't know, Amy, if you have anything with. Um, I would say that um, just being, just them knowing, like we've been with our, with our community group for um, 14 years. And so they have seen Luke from the very beginning and have known, and um, they've, I would say the biggest role they've probably played is just reminding us of truth when we get really weary with like, oh, I even texted them yesterday getting ready for this today, and I was like, just the girls, not the, not the husbands, but I texted the moms, and I was like, I'm looking over my notes from a breakout that I did on Strong-Willed Kids a couple of years ago, and I, it, it's just kind of not daunting, that's too strong of a word, but just like, oh, like we're, this is still the same stuff um, that I was facing and talking about two years ago. It's like, it's the same. It's changed a little bit, like just because of age. Um, but it, it's, it's still the same. So it's just, that's just kind of where we are. But they are quick to remind me of truth, which is great. Um, and they are people that if he goes over to their house, like, like I said, he's fine with other authorities. So he's, he's usually fine. Um, when he's with them, but they know what to watch for, and they know, and they can, they actually encourage me when they see good things in him, which is also huge because it's like when you don't hear good, when you don't see a lot of good, it's so nice when you hear good things <laughs> like from other people. They're like, "Oh, we saw him do this, or we, you know, he was he did this right away when we asked him to," um, and so they're they know that that's a big deal to me, and so they'll they'll let me know. I also would say too that you want to. I mean. I love Ginger's kids, and I love uh, Kyle and Trisha's kids, and I pray for them like they're my own. They're regularly on my prayer list, so I would encourage you that if you dive in with the kids of the people in your community group, um, it's not just about your kids. It's also about them, and um, yeah. I've have I've if you like to talk more I have lots of examples it's it's a huge blessing to have people watch you raise your kids um, and speak truth into you and then also speak truth into them when you're not around and I've had the opportunity to do that my son's almost drowned another kid in community that was fun and so um, 
having those conversations and watching another mom as mad as you are at your child because she loves him. And then I also encourage you, if something happens like that, to follow up with questions. Hey, when you said this about my kid, I know it's true, but it hurt me. You know, um, did you really mean that? And she's like, no, I love him too. And I was mad at him. And so just, um, that, that's, just the, that's just the risk you're going to play when you ask other people to look at your kids. They'll fall in love with them. And when you fall in love with other people, you know, like you care about them and you get emotional about it. <laughs> so, um, but I would take that, those one-liner hurts for the growth that it's put in my child any day of the week. So wounds from a friend, you know, they're helpful. Yeah. And I think we are, Leslie, I think. Oh, we're we, good. We, you want me to go ahead and close? Yeah. Because it's 11, yeah. 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 11.53, we're going, we'll be here. So if we didn't get to some of your questions, we'll hang around for a few minutes. Feel free to come up. Um, don't forget to go get your children from training ground in like seven minutes, but I'm going to pray and close this out.